1: Oh, Recorded live.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Informer podcast. I'm your hostess, Tara Bentley, and today we have with us the author of The Mystery of History, Linda Lacour Hobar. Oh, shoot, I'm going to edit this out. Pronounce <coughs> your maiden name for me.
1: <laughs> Lacour, you had it right.
0: I had it right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Author of The Mystery of History, Linda Lacour Hobar, and she is coming to our 2016 IAG Home Educators Convention this April. And we are so excited to have her. And it has been 10 years since Linda has been in Indiana, so I am personally just absolutely thrilled that she's going to be back with us. Welcome to today's show, Linda.
1: Thank you, Tara. It's great to be here with you, especially with you. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it is so hard to believe it. it has been 10 years since you have been a part of our Indiana convention. It used to be your backyard and then you left us and you moved to Tennessee.
1: I did. I did. As a little backstory to that, my family and I lived in Ohio for uh 16 years or so and so naturally when I was homeschooling I attended my local state convention that was the Chio convention up in Columbus. I went to that for many years and then as I became a writer and had curriculum um, of course naturally I went to my own backyard again and began to present at Chio as well as in Indianapolis. So that's where I really cut my teeth as a presenter and um, just trying to share you know world history curriculum with folks. So yeah it's pretty near and dear to my heart.
0: And actually, when we met, so that was back in 2006. I remember helping you, and you had one book, one history book. Um, and now you got the whole series. You you've written the whole World History series.
1: <laughs> Thank the Maker. Yes. Um, yeah, I I was I I believe now I had this vision of of Ashley being a little elementary age child that's my daughter who was helping us out at the booth and I have a picture of her having fallen asleep in a chair that was in Indianapolis and she's now 23 so that definitely puts the time frame on all this
0: absolutely and so tell me about your interest in history how did you were you always interested in history did you ever think you'd be writing an entire history Hmm. curriculum
1: No, but I do like this question. Like most people, I grew up thinking history was completely boring because it was straight out of textbooks, all very date and event oriented, and it was so irrelevant to me. But then I went to college, I attended Baylor University, and I'll never forget, I sat down in my Western Civilization classes as an eager little freshman, I was on the front row, and had these two professors who transformed my opinion of world history because they sat on the edges edges of their desks and just told stories they had no notes and they just told stories and I remember thinking to myself where has this subject been all my life because I am a people person and once I realized that history was really about people it was just full of drama and all kinds of juicy stories it lit me up and that was when I fell in love with world history it was truly in college so I thank those professors for helping me see the subject for what it is
0: And probably even at that time, though, you, you never saw yourself writing a history curriculum. So what made you take that love and that passion for history and decide to write a curriculum?
1: Oh, well, there is a good story there. Um, I really feel it was a calling from the Lord. I Like you said, I did not aspire to be a writer, especially of world history textbooks. I mean, who does that? No one thinks they're going to grow up and write world history textbooks. Um, I also did not aspire to be an entrepreneur in my 40s or 50s. But I am now, and I think looking back, the Lord laid the groundwork for all of this to happen while I was in my 20s and 30s. You see, I served as a missionary with my husband. For almost 20 years, I was homeschooling throughout the majority of that time. But as I approached age 40, I remember sensing that there was a new season around the corner for me, and I really spent about a year in prayer asking the Lord, what would that be? Because I really wanted to streamline um, my energies. I am a high energy person. I had a lot of interest, but I was in prayer saying, God, what would you have me do? And I knew I had some passions, including home education. I was very passionate about it. It had been very successful for us. I was very passionate about the gospel. I got saved when I was 17. I've never gotten over that. And I was passionate about world history because I found that the love I had for it in college followed me into the homeschool years. I would sit with my children and just pour over these world history stories and, and cry over um, events that had happened. I'd find myself late up late at night trying to piece it together in the order I wanted to teach it. And uh, anyway, so I definitely had a passion there. Well, one day, um, through this year of prayer, I was standing in my kitchen. I was literally cutting up vegetables. I remember it so well. I had a little little island in my kitchen. I was cutting vegetables, and I felt as if I heard the Lord whisper the mystery of history. So I give him all credit for the title, which, by the way, it rhymes. I was so excited. I'm like, ah, that's so <laughs> cool. Um, I felt I did not make that up. I felt it came from him, and as soon as I heard it, I I think I knew what it was. I felt like that was... The culmination of many loves in my life. I felt it was a mission and a call to tell about the mystery of Christ in the context of world history. So it really just um, bundled up a lot of my passions. And so there I was with a title. I stopped and went downstairs and typed a dedication page to my kids that very day, which is still in volume one. And then I had 6,000 years of world history to start writing. So I got busy.
0: It's funny when you talk about having 6000 years of world history and it that's that's a daunting task. Um and so, you know, to be able to know that it was a calling that you were given, um had to at least provide you with a sense of true purpose, um and vision other than just saying, "I think I'm going to sum up 6000 years of world history." <laughs>
1: It may have been a little naive at the time, to be quite honest, but, you know, when God gives you a sense of purpose, he He fulfills it. So really, he provided for me, you know, all along the way. I, if I were relying on myself, I think it, it would never have gone anywhere, but he, he helped it.
0: And I think that to know that he was directing um, your path just had to provide a lot of clarity along the way. And I, I will share with our readers a story. And you and I have talked about this over the years because, because I have um, been at conventions with you. And I was at a convention with you um, down in Memphis years ago. And there was one little boy, he had to be probably fourth or fifth grade, who loved history. And he loved your books and I will just <laughs> never forget he spent so much time in the booth wanting to talk to you and talk about history and he was so excited because he said I can't wait to see what you write about the Titanic <laughs> I remember that <laughs> You remember, and you had to share with him that as exciting of a story as the Titanic is it was it did not fit into the curriculum <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. it only got an honorable mention that's right you know i have to tell you tara another funny side to that story is that i know that little boy who is now taller than me about age 16 or 17 we go to church together so i see him all the time (laughs) he's an usher at my church yes and he still loves world history yeah he's been through all my books now but yes, That's unfortunately, wonderful. I had to break it to him that I did not write a whole chapter on the sinking of the Titanic, you know. Because <laughs> it is hard to, I, you know, one of, my, one of my challenges is to pick and choose what will make the book, you know, what the table of contents will be. And I've really had to pray over that because clearly it's difficult to choose. And um, so some, some catastrophes, so to speak, as interesting as they are, don't make the cut just because they're rivaling some other significant world events, you know, that really shaped that shaped, you know, our present time.
0: Right. Well, talking about um, the significance of different pieces of history, I think that one of the things that drew me to your history um, way back when, when I first saw it, was the idea of teaching world history alongside biblical history because that's not how I was taught, clearly, um, in the public schools. And so just to have biblical history incorporated with what, you know, the rest of the world would consider world history was just something that I really wanted for my family. So what excites you the most about combining world history with biblical history?
1: Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. It is one of my favorite features of the mystery of history is blending what we would define as Bible history and secular history just together. And there are so many benefits. But first, let me describe to you a few of who these people are, just to kind of let you envision them and, 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 and then bring it to life. Um, for example, picture, if you will, King Tut and his great golden mask that most of us have seen on posters and such. Uh, it's Very few of us could tell you where King Tut fits into biblical history because we've just had them separated for for all our lives. Um, And so the answer to that, his closest biblical contemporary would probably be Joshua. So just about 100 years before King Tut ascended the throne, Joshua was um, there at the Battle of Jericho. Another fun one for me is Aesop. When you think of Aesop, they are like, oh, he's the Greek that wrote the famous fables, and we picture the tortoise and the hare. But rarely could any of us put him in the timeline of a biblical character. Like, who would have been his contemporary? Well, the answer to that is Daniel. So, right there, I think that's exciting because most kids can picture, you know, the tortoise and the hare story, and then picture Daniel praying on his knees, you know, against the lions in the den. Um, So they were uh, very close together in history. Then there's the uh, Buddha and Confucius, you know, on the other side of the world. And we would wonder, well, biblically, who, who did they line up with? The answer would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as well as Belshazzar. Those stories happened really shortly after Daniel. Those are all close together and they're about the same time. And then let's think of the Greeks, Socrates and Plato. You know, they certainly have their own spotlight and limelight in history, but who were Mm -hmm. they near in biblical history? And the answer is Ezra and Malachi. They were a little later in our Old Testament. And then, um, of course, one of my favorite figures in world history to study is Cleopatra. And I'd say her contemporary, closest contemporary is Herod the Great. They their lives actually overlapped. And we're talking about the same Herod who then would send the wise men on a um, goose chase to find Jesus. And so anyway, although Cleopatra died before then, um, they were contemporaries of one another at one time. So anyway, why all this is so important, I have a few reasons. Um, let Let me spit them out for you. First, I truly believe historical facts, as they do overlap Bible stories, I think they help support the reliability and the veracity of the scriptures. Other good examples of that would be if you look at the names of some of the kings of Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, and for example, Tiglath-Pileser, Shalmaneser, Sargon, those three names who were kings of Assyria, they actually are in our Old Testament. But if you also go to the Internet and type them into any word search, Um, You will find them. They are in secular sources on the Internet because they were real kings, and the Assyrians have preserved those kings lists. So it shows us that the Bible is full of verifiable information, which I think is very exciting. I think that strengthens our faith. Also, I think when we integrate sacred stories and secular stories, overall it does strengthen our faith in the Bible because it is a great history book. Just to consider the genealogies alone that are contained in Genesis or in Luke, you know, they give us these lineages that go as far back as Adam. How could man ever explain that? (laughs) Only God could know history back to the very first man. So we have genealogies. Third, I think when we put Bible history in the context of world history, I think it does help us see the sovereignty of God in the affairs of mankind, just like that big, big picture. great example would be when God allowed Judah to be taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. And in the what we have deemed the Babylonian captivity. Now that was back in 605 BC. Well if you didn't know the rest of the story it was 70 years later as prophesied that the Lord allowed the Jews to return to their homeland but he allowed that to happen through a man named Cyrus the Great of Persia. Well Persia, if you didn't know that is modern day Iran and so it was a Persian king who freed the Jews from the Babylonian captivity. Now clearly we know today that there is a two hated people groups there. The the Jews and the Iranians are not friends today. So way back in history, we, we just have to assume that that was the work of the Lord. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. I do have some other reasons that I think it's good to blend Bible and secular history. So I also think it's being a good steward of, our, of the education of our children. It's a very big picture, um, one that I think is necessary and should be. And um, last, I must say this, I do think it helps inspire us as well to hold on to hope that, let's I think it helps us hold on to hope that there is a plan in the end. you know what I'm saying? That there is a Mm story of redemption. Because really, if it weren't for the promises of the prophets, if it weren't for the grace of the gospel, if there wasn't hope for everlasting life, well, it would be very difficult to study any world history. I mean, face it, it's a dismal subject. We see a lot of suffering. But thank God there are promises, like in Revelation, that tell us, the leaves of the tree of life would be for the healing of the nations. I nearly cry every time I read that passage in Revelation, it's Revelation 22, 2 and 3, because it does give us like a, uh, it just gives us this end picture that, that's glorious. and Something really quite unfathomable is what it is. But uh, yes, those are my reasons I think it's very important to integrate those subjects.
0: Well, and I think that you you, you kind of touched on this just a little bit, but I think that one of the things that um, I, I know that one of the reasons that I really never enjoyed history growing up is because history was this old static um, piece. And so mm-hmm. I think that by incorporating it with biblical history, you make it relevant to us as Christians. Um, but the other piece of that is that and you again kind of alluded to this is that by understanding our history it's just it brings such understanding to our events today in our world current events um, you know why we have people that are constantly at war with each other and so how do we use that history we we all know the old trite phrase right if we don't know our history we're doomed to repeat it mm-hmm. <laughs> but how do we teach our children then to see today's current events through a biblical and historical lens?
1: Oh, that's so good. Uh, let me back that up first about why it would be important to study together, and then mm-hmm. that will tie into the the lens we would put that through. Uh, and, of course, I know I'm a little biased to the subject, but I do think world history is one of the most important ones out there. For one, it's it's highly relational, You know, and I think it is a subject that sort of begs for guidance and discipleship and mentoring. And here's what I mean. When I think you set a child down and they're learning some tragic events in history, maybe for the first time, they're going to be seeing it from the perspective of a very blank slate. You know, these children have not yet been tainted by political correctness. So when you tell them, like in their innocence, about the destruction of Pompeii, which was buried under Mount Vesuvius in ash. Or if you tell them the story of the Trail of Tears where the Native Americans were marched to their deaths to head west, or when we would tell them the story of the Holocaust, let's picture this child only in fifth grade, we can easily imagine their response, right? They they are more appalled than we are because these subjects are, are new to them. And like in my examples, when, when you think about Pompeii being buried, well, immediately they should be prompted to think of the brevity of life, like just how mortal we are, that wow, life could be snuffed out in a second. And when you see and look closely at that trail of tears story, well, goodness, it's, it's hard to stomach because we just see how unjust mankind can be, you know, like even right here in our own land. Of course, looking at the Holocaust, well, that's just looking at evil incarnate, you know, face to it, face. It's scary to think of how much power one man had on the world for a time all to say that their natural responses really are the right responses. You know, we we ought to be appalled by these things. But when you can harness that, that natural response, I think that that so leads them to the good news of the gospel. Like, oh, yes, this is tragic, but, you know, there's a plan. God has made a plan where man will be freed from the fall. Like, that is great news. So real simply put, um, world history is so important to study together because, I think it, I think history points to the need that man has for redemption. You know, there there's a conflict in every story. There's always a character who has a flaw. There's always a people group who has a problem. So we need the hope of heaven, I think, you know, and I think that spurs us. And so when you talk about pulling that to current events, mm, uh, to get kind of practical with that, I, I can give you two examples that I think are, really relevant today. Um, Let's go back to my third volume, which covers the Renaissance and Reformation. I wrote a story in that book that dates back to 1501. So that's a few centuries ago. In that story, it describes how Persia became the nation of Iran, bringing them up again, and how a very young king named Ismail, he decided that Iran would be a Shiite nation rather than a Sunni nation. Now for those that may not know, Islam is sorely divided between Shiites and Sunnis. It's kind of like two brands of one religion. They and they are very different in their theology. Well, goodness, we've all seen on the news lately um, the tension between Shiites and Sunnis that still exists. And we know that this theological decision that was made as far back as fifteen oh one is so relevant. And and here's why the Shiites of Iran they They are not interested in joining that growing caliphate of ISIS because ISIS is predominantly Sunni. So these two groups are not on the same page. And it's so, so relevant to today to just understand all that turmoil there. Um, World history is just naturally embedded in the news. Um, Here's here's another example, I believe, of great relevance today. So there is a presidential candidate as we speak who is campaigning to steer America towards socialism. Or to be a little bit more accurate, it's, it's his brand of social democracy. Well, to determine if that is a good idea for our country or a bad idea, I think it would be greatly helpful to know the history of socialism, which actually dates back to 1848 when Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto. He was the first to define socialism as it applied to his theory and to his belief that society could be improved by the redistribution of wealth. Well, I'm not going to finish that debate here. I'm not even going to enter that debate here. But my point being, we have got to know our world history. We cannot escape how relevant it is and um, that it is staring us in the face, you know, soon to be staring us at the polls. So that's that's my rant on that.
0: <laughs> well, and I agree. And I think that, you know, you're talking about studying world history together. And I, again, I think that just one to. Of those things. It's a unique opportunity for homeschool families because very clearly if you're following kind of a traditional textbook model, you might have your uh, fourth grader in one book studying American history and you might have your uh, high school freshman over here studying world history. And if they're completely in their traditional textbooks, then you don't get into the same kind of conversations. You don't have the same opportunities that you do when you're studying, you know, using a book that is a narrative style, talking about the stories of our history, and then encouraging you to do activities and, you know, just working through it together as a family, regardless of the age of your children.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Truly. Again, I think it's a very relational subject. I kind of like to call it like one of those sofa subjects, you know, where you can on a rainy or snowy day curl up together and literally be side by side reading together. I just love that picture. Um, It is just a a closeness and an intimacy the family can have, you know, different from some of our other traditional settings. There's a time and place for all of it. But I like to cozy around with my kids when I can because history is so naturally going to lead us into these deeper conversations. Again, you know, like why mommy is so-and-so, you know, why were they so evil? And, um, yeah, puts us on our toes at times helps us sort yeah. of you know, what is our theology what are our beliefs and why do we have them you know what is this biblical worldview all about so I, again I just feel like this is one of those subjects that really lends itself to some great mentoring of your students if they're your children or you're teaching someone else's children
0: well I'm just so excited to have you back at our convention coming up in April um, I'm looking forward to a lot of people who maybe don't know who you are and haven't seen the mystery of history, uh, getting the opportunity to see it for the first time. And I just know that everyone's going to learn a lot uh, working with you, getting to hear your sessions. And I'm excited. I'm excited to have you back in Indianapolis.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Me too. Well, I hope by speaking to parents and sometimes older teens come or young teens come, but you know I hope to help parents feel a little bit more confident about you know, stepping into these time periods that they may not remember having studied themselves or if they did, it was a long time ago. And so I like to help parents feel a little bit more confident about teaching by giving them, you know, some overviews. But then I also like sharing just my own experiences as a homeschool mom, because I know sometimes we still just need to hear, you know, you can do this and you can get the laundry done and you can feed them. It can all happen. (laughs) (laughs) I, I look forward to sharing all sides of that.
0: Well, great. I said thank you for spending your morning with me this morning, and we'll see you in April.
1: Thank you, Tara. God bless. Bye-bye.